Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen problems in their homes. This is Olivia Kernikan, and I am so happy you're joining us today. If you were one of our regular listeners, welcome back. And if you were a new friend, we are so glad you found us. You are no longer alone on this journey of navigating screens in your home, and you have found your people. We have a different episode for you this week, as we will be sharing an interview that Andrew Hempe gave at Screen Strong's last full-day in-person workshop, Kids, Brains, and Screens, in Charlotte, North Carolina, in October of 2023. Andrew gives some amazing insights on what it was like growing up without access to toxic screens, and he answers questions from parents who are in the room and offers amazing feedback and encouragement for anyone struggling with this issue. You will also hear Melanie Hempe and Dr. Adriana Stacy give their input as well. So sit back and enjoy this awesome episode. Andrew, I want to ask you some questions, Dr. Stacy. You can ask him some questions, and then we can have anybody here ask him some questions. Step up here a minute. I first want to ask you a question about this course, because you... Um, actually did a lot of editing um, with the middle school course. We got it all written, and Dr. Stacy and I went through it every and went through everything. And then Andrew went through and said, "Mom, you got to change this. This is for middle school." So he went through and kind of did some fine line edits on that. So first of all, thank you very much. But I want to want you to just comment on the course for a second. Um, yeah, I think uh, as y'all have just been here listening, this is a lot to take in, right? It's brain science. It's hard facts about how hideous the world and culture is today, right? There's a lot of really heavy stuff. It's hard for adults to take in. It's hard for me to, you know, I've been hearing this my whole life. It's still hard to be like, wow, that's what we live in. That's terrible. But, you know, it's so it's still so crucial to educate our, to educate kids. I don't have kids yet, but it's so <laughs> crucial to educate kids. And so that's where um, mom and Dr. Stacy did so much work on generating the content. And I just, I did my best to think how would a middle school best understand this concept or how, how could a kid in middle school what how could we phrase this to make them want to learn more about it instead of it just being you know a lecture or a book report that they have to you know read that they just see as another assignment so that was kind of the thought behind some of the editing that I was doing was just like kids need to read this so let's put it in a package that would make them want to read it mm-hmm. um, so you can combine the need with the want. And thank you so much, because you did a great job of, um, it's been a while since I've been in middle school myself, and so he was fresh out, and uh, that really, really helped. Um, But I'm going to ask you a a first question here. Can you just in, just, I don't know, two minutes or less, um, just describe what it was like growing up with a, a gamer for a big brother? For a while, me and my twin brother. We, we're 12 years older than our younger brother who is the big gamer. So there's already a significant age gap. So already fear was a significant factor there because he's so much bigger than us. But really that fear was blown out of proportion because we only knew him as someone who was always angry, always yelling, and pretty much would sit in the dark in the basement. Like we didn't go to the basement because it was a very scary place. And I'm still kind of scared of the basement. I don't know, just me. But, um, but that was how we knew Adam was he was just like kind of a monster and I don't want to spend time with him. Like he'd be in the basement. I'm on the third floor. I'm I'm as far away. I'm in the attic. I'm as far away from him as I can be. And like, that's tragic, but that's how our interaction was with our older brother. 
Um, and you know, now that you know he's moved on from that phase of his life, now it's kind of like we're finally able to start building a real relationship with our brother because he's not, you know, he, he's finally escaped the grip that his games had on him. So uh, I would just say, like, my childhood memories of Adam are really characterized by, like, fear, which is really sad. Um, but that's just a testament to uh, the effects that, you know, a, a game can have on, on someone who's deep within the, their clutches. Yeah, and it affects not only, you know, did it affect Adam, but it affected his relationships with his siblings. And if you do have multiple children, it is one of the best gifts you can give them is those relationships. So can you just uh, tell us, because we're all on pins and needles here, or I'm not, um, but the audience is um, to, to share the rest of the story with Adam. So I brought them up through the fact that he did come back from the military and he did go back to NC State and he got his degree. Then what did he do after that? Yeah, so um, he went back to college after he did his time in the military, used the GI Bill, and went back and got a business degree from NC State. Um, but he wasn't really, that wasn't the end of the road for him and his educational career. He actually just graduated from Campbell Law School in May and passed the bar exam um, in, in September. So really proud of him for that. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. So now I, anytime I get a speeding ticket, I know who to call. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's nice. It, and it's really just so cool to see, like, he would never have, like, he didn't want to leave the basement, you know, however many years ago, 12 years ago or so. And now he's, you know, he's launching himself into a career that is going to serve him well, where he can serve other people. And it's just so cool to see kind of the 180 that his life took yeah. after he decided to leave games in the past. And y'all are having a much better relationship yeah, yeah. now. Sure. And um, But Adam does remind me on a regular basis that um, there's nothing about his story that we can share that will ever hurt his feelings. So I'm so happy about that. And he is a very good speaker. And he does do um, some stuff with radio and different things that uh, he represents Screen Strong now. But it was really only because I was able to, and my husband, we were able to sort of rescue him out of that pathway because there are quite a few young men in our country that are still living in their mother's basement um, while she's bringing them meals every night on a tray um, while they're playing video games. So um, just really by the grace of God that that, that happened, that we were able to um, rescue him. And then, Andrew, what would you say with Adam's childhood versus your childhood? I mean, there is certainly a lot of differences. And I know one of the things that Adam brings up, and you can bring up a few more things, um, is the music because Adam was very... Um, much in love with music, but I let him quit during middle school because he wanted to play more video games. So what are some other things? Yeah, so I think uh, briefly, like the first probably eight years of our childhood in terms of the activities we're doing was very similar. Like sports, I know Adam played soccer and baseball and tried a lot of different sports. He played uh, the violin, I think for a little while, and the piano as well, and now he likes to play the guitar. And that's very similar to me and my twin brother. We were always playing sports, always trying new things, always playing music. Uh, we would we would go to these pottery lessons. They're really fun. This place that's like 300 yards from here, but um, it, it's really really cool. Just like fun things like that. That that's where our childhood was characterized, but uh, characterized by. But then very soon his childhood started to take a different direction once he you know started to prioritize his his gaming, and um, and that's where. Gaming, it's like a, it's almost like a god that you serve that 24 hours out of the day, right? Everything else in his life just got pushed out. 
he said goodbye to music, he said goodbye to, to sports. He was still a good student, but that was kind of like, because that wasn't really that hard for him, because he's very smart. <laughs> and he could, he could, if he, I'm sure, if he had had to sacrifice gaming time to be a good student, his grades would have plummeted. And so he, he kind of prioritized gaming in his life. Whereas for me and my twin brother, thanks to our loving mother, that wasn't an option. And so, <laughs> so mom was like, time. "You're gonna have skills, dang it! I'm gonna, <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna know how to do things. You're gonna have a different childhood. You're gonna be cultivated in multiple different areas in the arts and athletics. You know, as a student, um, just in all socially in all of those ways. And so that's where I think you know, just my high school experience just." It was very, very different from my older brother's just because of the things I was doing and really the things he wasn't. So, I think the memories are very different. So you want your, yeah. your kids to have memories of fun things that they did when they were kids. And, and it's very sad to me when Adam told me soon after we rescued him out of his gaming addiction um, that he told me, he said, Mom, you know, I had a horrible childhood. And that's really hard to hear as a mom. Um, well, and I think it's kind of ironic because, like, in high school and middle school, I would go hang out with my friends, and they would introduce me to, like, someone they knew. And we would always get introduced as the kids who didn't have screens, right? That was, like, <laughs> Andrew Hippie, comma, no screens. Like, it was, like, it was, it was, like, my job title. But, and people would always, like, peers would always be like, oh, so you had no childhood. And I'd be like, like what? <laughs> How does that make any sense? Like, what you just said is you're saying that by doing things that are enriching my life, developing skills, building real relationships with people, that's not having a childhood. Like, I think we got different definitions going on here. So, um, also, I think a child's definition of childhood probably isn't the best uh, source, <laughs> best dictionary, but that's another topic. So, talk about that. Talk about how um, you got made fun of. Go ahead, we'll just put it on the table. I was that mean mom. <laughs> so, um, I think. The, particularly in middle school. Middle school is just kind of rough for everybody. That's kind of inevitable. Um, I didn't have that bad of a middle, middle school experience, believe it or not. Um, but I think the main thing is me and my brother were different for not having screens. And no matter what it is, when you're in middle school, the world is about fitting in, right? So we could have, you know, worn weird clothes and people would have made fun of us for that, for being different in that way. But the, the fact that it was screens, that was just another thing that we were different by. And once people started to see it that way, they were like, wait, that's kind of cool. Because screens kind of get elevated to the, to the point of the end all be all, right? But people would see that me and my brother were very social people. We weren't antisocial by any means. We had all kinds of friends. We were engaged in all kinds of activities. We could ha carry a conversation with anybody, including their parents. And, and that was like, our, our peers would really be amazed by that. And they were like, but I thought you had no childhood. I thought you like, were Amish. I thought you, like, all of these things, and, and, and I'm kind of going off a, a tangent a little bit, but people would, would make fun of us for being the kids without screens, and as soon as we got out of the context where it, as soon as we escaped the strictly, you know, peer-surrounded context, and we got out into a much more real-world scenario where we were around adults, or we were around people we didn't know, it would become abundantly clear that my brother and I were the most, I don't know, like, like prepared to be a person like we were the most able to engage with with other people right because everyone else is just is so concerned with fitting in whereas me and my brother were developing the life skills that set you up set you apart in life and that's that's really valuable and I remember in eighth grade um, that was kind of a pivotal year because that's when everybody's getting 
you know, smartphones, and I remember your brother just knowing for sure that he was going to get a smartphone, you know, every birthday, every Christmas, and every birthday, every Christmas went by, and then he got one. And um, the fact that they didn't have a smartphone or social media, um, and the fact that they had to play the violin was just almost too crushing for anyone to live with. And so, but I remember around eighth grade, I think it was right when you were in eighth grade, and we were at dinner one night because we also have dinner. And I want you to mention that a second about that. But um, I remember you saying, you know, Mom, in um, seventh grade, people really make fun of you a lot for not having a smartphone or social media, you know, and the fact that you have to take violin lessons. Like, this is something you get made fun of. But by ninth grade, you know, actually the girls think it's kind of (laughs) cool. So talk about that transition a little bit to where it didn't matter. Yeah, I think... Um, one big switch just between middle school and high school is like like everybody kind of knows middle school is all about fitting in, right? And then high school, it's like flipped on its head. It's how can I stand out? Um, and that there's still a little bit of fitting in, but that's really what happens in high school is everyone's like, I want to kind of fit in, but I also want to be different so that people give me attention for that. And so that's where me and my brother were already so used to standing out. It was just like, oh, everyone's now just following us. <laughs> Everyone else wants to just wants to stand out now, but they've been so busy fitting in that they don't even know how to do that. So um, I think, yeah, it was it's hard, you know, it's hard kind of getting made fun of. But eventually, I just learned to own it, and I was like, like people would make fun of me for, you know, my mom or. Oh, my, my parents threatened to send me to your house for the weekend. I'm like, yeah, you should come live with us. It's going to be great. Like, uh, it's going to be a good time. Um, we got and, that threat a lot. Yeah, and, and just kind of owning it, and it really became a part of my identity as a person, was just like I was different from my peers, and I was like, this is great. I mean, I like everyone else is exactly the same, and I'm not like that. Like, this is kind of cool. So it took a while to realize that and appreciate that, but uh, definitely the switch culturally just – and developmentally from middle school to high school, um, I think Evan and I really had an advantage because we were already different. Yeah, I really saw it as an advantage too, and I saw it as setting them up to be different the rest of their life because they're going to have to be different, right? You can't follow culture on every single thing that's out there. You have to learn how to be okay in your own skin. So, Dr. Stacey, do you have any? I'm putting you on the spot. Do you have any questions? No. You don't want to do any therapy right now. No, no. We'll do that later. We'll do that later. <laughs> um, I will say, you know, my daughter Annalise, who's 17, was supposed to be here this weekend, but she had to um, host some, I don't know, pep rally or something at school, so which was took precedence. Um, but she told me that she was at work last week, and she works for like an after-school program, and she's the youngest, and all the other workers there are in college, and one of the girls said something about, oh, um, I'll get with you on TikTok, and Annalise was like, oh, well, I don't have TikTok, and, she, and the girl said, you don't have TikTok, and Annalise was like, no, I've never had that, and the girl said, that is so cool, <laughs> and, um, and Annalise was like, kind of surprised by that but then she started to realize kind of what he was saying that like in middle school if you can get them through middle school then it sort of becomes like like they're different in a good way um, and she'll have people tell her like you know your, your communication skills are so much different than other kids your age she's like well because I have to communicate like in person you know I can't hide behind my screen or whatever but kids t- tell me that all the time sort of through a um a work scenario about how they wish their parents would have never given them those phones because of you know this that or the other problem but I thought that was kind of funny um about the TikTok that's so cool um yeah so. yeah kind of exactly like in line with that is I'm in college now I'm a freshman like so of course freshman year of college meeting a ton of new people right everywhere you go there's new people to meet and so when you you know you meet new people oh this person's interesting I want to 
hang out with this guy more or get to know this lady. Um, and so, the, you know, and now culturally the first question is, can I get your snap, right? Can I get your Snapchat so that we can keep things light? And I don't really want to get to know you, but I want to pretend that I do, so I'm going to get your Snapchat. Um, and I say, no, I don't have snap. And without fail, the first response is, oh, dude, I need to delete snap. Like, like, it's like, I didn't pressure you into saying that, but people are like all subconsciously aware that social media is not good for them. That spending like upwards of like four or five hours just scrolling endlessly on Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat or a combination is not good. And everyone like knows that, but they just kind of like, no one's like giving, no one's telling them to delete it. Like almost no one's giving them permission to delete it. And so like everyone kind of wants to do that. Like I told my friend like, Hey, like, just delete it. He was like, I, I, can, I can do that? I was like, yeah, let me show you how. Like, I just got a smartphone, but I know how to delete an app. It's pretty cool. Um, and, like, it's, it, he was like, uh, oh, okay. Like, and he, now I think he, I think he's, he's been without TikTok or whatever for, like, a week now. And he's, like, loving it. Um, but, like, that's just kind of, or a lot of times people won't do it. But just, like, just kind of piggybacking off of what you said is the first response is always, oh, I need to do the same. Like, I wish I also didn't have this crutch that I rely on so much and really, it, like, hurts me. Um, just like, you know, you're without it, and I wish I was like that. So, so I know, yeah, you're, you're next. I, I know that a lot of people um, think that I'm setting you up to say this, but you can confirm that I haven't given you any... Um, any coaching here on what to say, but a lot of parents and probably some even here believe that, well, if we don't give our kids this stuff in high school, they're going to binge and go crazy when they go to college. And um, I didn't really worry about it. And I'm, I don't want to put you too much on the spot, but I'm assuming I'm not tracking your every move, move, but I'm assuming that you're not binging and going crazy on video games or, I don't know, are you or, um, or TikTok? <laughs> yeah. Have you done? So I actually haven't slept in four months. But... <laughs> Shoot. No, it's kind of it's funny that you know, that whole the subject of binging, right? Because um, it's like when I first got to college, like a lot of people, a lot of people in the dorm, like they think, oh, thank goodness I'm in college. Now I can game all day, right? And so like there, there, there's a few people that do that. Those aren't really my people, so I don't hang around them much. But like, a few of my friends are like, "Hey, like, we should play Fortnite together or something for fun." And I was like, "I'm ter- I've never played. I'm terrible." But like, sure, I'll try it. And you know, we'll play. And then like after half an hour, I'm like, "Why are we still doing this? Like, this is kind of lame." I'm, I'm first of all I'm terrible, but like, even if you're good, like it's kind of the same thing over and over. Like, why are we still doing this? And so, like that like kind of in college I've kind of seen what mom was saying all along has just come to fruition where it's like like I completely have liberty to I could I could play Fortnite all night if I wanted you know all the, all these things just on a computer I don't even have I don't have a console like on a computer I could do that but it's so lame like I just don't really want to and there's like I would so much rather not be sitting in my dorm room by myself or even like playing with somebody else it just feels so like cold and not college. Like, I want to go out and meet people. I want to go out and do things. And I feel like a lump and a waste of oxygen if I just play Fortnite all day. So that's kind of a testament to what mom to know. forecasting. <laughs> My forecast? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I do know that the opposite is true, that little gamers do grow up to be big gamers because I've done that experiment and I know that what happens there. So it's good to hear that you're not falling into some sort of weird uh, Fortnite addiction. Yeah, your question. I'm a middle school counselor. And um, I'm just curious, do you remember what you would, how you would respond to those kids that would make fun of you? Like, I think that's one of the hardest parts for our kids is what to say. Um, 
So I'm just curious if you remember anything that you would say that would make you feel um, yeah, I I know there were several phases to my response, right? There's the shut up, like that, like stop, stop making fun of me, like that's I don't appreciate that, you know, where you get defensive about it. That's one phase. And then you also have the phase where you make fun of it, like, haha, yeah, my mom sucks, like, yeah. <laughs> like, like we I was would, great with that. Yeah, so that was all you know, that's also a phase, like that that was also a thing that I tried it but eventually like I, I found out that when I would just like be like yeah you're right like I don't have screens I would get silence you'd be like wait you're supposed to like negatively respond to that so I keep making fun of you but like I would just give people nothing I'd be like yeah that that's who I am I don't have screens like you got any more content like I'm waiting for the punchline <laughs> I like people kind of just run out and and it that's hard that's hard for a middle schooler to do is to be okay with people make fun, making fun of them. But at the end of the day, everyone just wants to get a rise out of everyone else. They want everyone else to, you know, look silly and then look cool. But I found that when I would just be like, you're correct, I do not have screens. Like, that just makes the other person look silly. Like, then it's like, oh, I was trying to make you look bad, but now I just look bad for doing that. I don't know. It, I can't remember. I can't give you a direct quote. I can't remember exactly what I said. But I, I know there were multiple phases. And once I got to that phase where I was like, okay, this is who I am. And I'm actually okay with that. So if you're not, then I guess we won't be hanging out. Like, that, that's kind of the, the point we got to. So, and that was nice. And I think it's, it's a really good exercise um, to, no offense, put your kids through some of that hard stuff where they have to get that uncomfortable feeling and maybe be mad at you and that's okay and um, kind of work through that cracking out of the eggshell kind of thing and then they they end up stronger and then they end up you know by the time they got to high school it was a no-brainer and I think by that time when you were in high school a lot of kids were already kind of suffering from the consequences of just you know I know one of your friends um, told me at your senior recital like he wanted to talk to me forever about how sad he was that he that his mom let him quit piano and um, and he usually we say that in our 30s but here he was only 19 already understanding you know when he was at their senior recital and again it's not a gotcha moment or I told you so it's just hopefully encouraging to y'all and then for y'all to go out and encourage the world with this message that it's a very short period of time um, 48 months of high school we don't even count middle school because middle school is, is we're the, gonna erase that. yeah we're gonna erase that no um, that's why we don't want them on social media yeah um, I just wanted to read real quick I got Annalise's permission to do this one of her do all these college essays they go on forever but one of hers for a specific school um, was asking about an experience and um, I just wanted to read what she said so she said um, I could not communicate with my friends as much during my freshman year so I was left out of multiple get-togethers almost everyone in my grade had social media so I felt like the lone wolf who did not know what was happening this was extremely difficult for me there were many times when I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. I had to create a world where I belonged. It was not easy, but I learned some valuable lessons. No one should ever feel like they don't belong or are not valued. My experiences give me a perspective into how many feel when excluded from something in which they desire to participate. I will strive to ensure everyone feels welcome. I want to help create a community where no one feels alone. Everyone has a friend to talk to and everyone feels at home. And so that's what Melanie is saying. Like, that's what we want for our kids, right, is to have an experience when they're under our roof that's difficult, 
so they can take the lessons that they've learned, like he's saying, and take that out into the world and become a stronger person. And so we have a hard time as parents when our kids are suffering or feeling like they're different because we feel like we don't ever want them to feel pain. But the time to sort of walk them through that is middle school or when they're younger so that then they learn those lessons and can take that empathy out and spread it to someone else. Mm, that's great. Um, what are the questions you all have? For, yeah. Not to be explicit, but I was just wondering, how much do you think like inappropriate content from boys is truly boys being boys, <laughs> or how much of it is exposure? I don't know. If you can, like, do you think they're like? Yeah. No. I think it's actually like I am a huge proponent of just saying what it is. Like pornography at at college, like so many people struggle with it. I have a group of guys where we're trying to hold each other accountable, trying to, a lot of people are trying to break out of the chains that they've been in since middle school, since they were, you know, first encounter, yeah, since they were given a phone in lower school. So, like, I'm a huge proponent of bringing these things into light, right? Because so much of it is shame, like, all these things that try and keep it in the dark. But, so I I like to bring it into light. But anyway, uh, on the kind of subject of how these patterns get started, right? Um, I think a lot of it is just, um, developmentally, your uh, guys are going to be curious. They're going to want to, you know, explore. They don't. They have these hormones. They don't understand. They don't. The, the talk that my dad gave me didn't answer all the questions I had, and um, and things like that. Where it's curiosity. It's you know, sex drive is natural. It's a. It's it's all these natural things, right? That then get twisted, and then you and then our kids and middle schoolers and lower schoolers today. It's like. Here, here's all these good things. Now let me give you a device that can turn them into bad things all in one. Like, it, it, that, that's really the tragedy of pornography and, and all those things is that plenty of kids will discover it on their own, right? And then those kids, some of them might be shameful about it. Some of them might get far enough down the road, but they're going to expose other kids who maybe their parents are more purposeful about protecting them from those things. So um, I can't speak to particular statistics about how much of it is exposure on a school bus or a sleepover or how much of it is, you know, kids discovering things on their own. Um, but I do know for a fact that it, pornography and, and seeking out those things is the result of natural inclinations. Your child is not a screw-up because, you know, they're curious about these things. But I feel like it's a parent's role to protect them from allowing these natural curiosities and impulses to become lifelong addictions. I think that's, that's really... Um, kind of the role of a parent and yeah that pornography is such a a heavy issue on my heart because I see how many guys around me in college even in high school just it's a constant battle um and so yeah really it's a huge favor just spare your kids from it (laughs) yeah I know that's hard yeah um you said like the pornography is just out there like and they're going to come across it What's in it for them, like the people that are putting the pornography hmm. online? Like, what is it? Well, it's all money. It's all driven. Yeah. There's so there's advertising. Yeah. They get your information. The algorithms pull your um, personal information sure. and share that um, as well. And they get you addicted to it. And so then they can pull you into the yeah. paid portions, and they can get you to buy subscriptions. Well, yeah, it's it's like a sporting event. Like people want to watch the sports because they're interested in it, but like when I watch the Carolina Panthers play, I'm not paying them. I'm not even paying anything to watch it on TV, but there's ads that I'm seeing and that's how the networks are making money. Like I might not have to pay to view the porn, but they're gonna 
feed ads into my brain to try and influence my behavior. Or in, and because they know the product is attractive and addicting, then that makes the advertisements that much more valuable. Um, and it, it's, yeah, pretty sick. It's a huge but. industry. It's, yeah, uh, watch that movie, Social Dilemma, because mm-hmm. it explains it. Have you seen that movie? Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's really good. And it explains how, how they make money. Like in the, in the podcast with the police officer, yes, like some girls are, are making like tens of thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. Body parts, yeah. yeah. On well, and, and there's a, a platform called OnlyFans, which is basically pretty evil, but it enables anybody ever to create their own page. And everybody's got a phone, so they've got a camera, right? Anybody ever can pretty much become a porn star. Like, it's. It's horrible. It's so, and the way OnlyFans works is you pay for subscriptions to individual people's pages and all these things. It's it's terrible, right? That and if you think about it, this is what people. This is what girls. They're like, oh, I can make money doing this. This is great. I'm in high school, but why not start now, right? I need a little extra cash. Like it's so horrible that it's so available for the people who are creating the content. It's so available for the people seeking it out. That's why I honestly like. Mom mentioned access during the thing. Just take away the access altogether. Like, I personally, having a having a lockdown phone and having the peace of mind that even if I tried, I couldn't get to pornography on my phone, having that peace of mind is so much better than being able to, you know, that, that one exception where, oh, because I have this lockdown, I can't do this one thing that's actually useful. Well, you can use the exception to throw out the rule, right, if you want. But for me... Like having that peace of mind and not even having the temptation available is so much better, and it, it's so much like the costs infinitely outweigh the. the and then you can you can see the then at a certain point they do grow up and they do get more mature and you still have a number of years to go before your frontal cortex. So I can't even wait to talk to you then, but um, <laughs> you're sounding pretty good right now. But um, every day that goes by, you're you're winning, you're winning, you're win- it's it's better, it gets better. We can't expect Andrew in middle school to be where he is today, and he's going to handle it a lot better today. The gaming. Roblox is getting so sure. popular. Like my, my daughter and the friends, they really love it and they could be oh, inviting each other again online. Mm-hmm. So I think like previously the best we can do is okay, limit the time, like thirty minutes, sure. etc. But based on today, it is best not to have mm-hmm. it, right? Because they're mm-hmm. craving for more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know like what's the good strategy to start that kind of um, getting them away. You know, is it having it's a good talk or showing some slides like today what we're talking about? Well, the middle school course will help. Yeah. So I will say we haven't mentioned Roblox. Roblox is like one of the worst um, today because it pulls kids in and they have this interaction piece to it and strangers can interact with them and it's very addictive it's super fun for them right and so it's, it just gets very addictive but Melly and I both agree on this strategy that you have to just take it away like you just cold turkey take it away and in combination with that is education right and so the student course would be great to do with your child and their friends and sort of go over this is why and so and then you have the next step which is replacement mm-hmm. so you have to replace that 30 minutes or hour or two hours or whatever it is with something else that they'll find enjoyable yeah and i, I want to just briefly say on the subject whether it's social media video games and smartphones any of these things this is a universal truth that the costs will always outweigh the benefits don't don't get that confused like there's none of, none of these things where your child's going to be better 
because they have it, right? None of these things where the, the benefits outweigh the costs. No, in every single case, the costs outweigh the benefits. And that's where, like, like I was saying earlier, just going, not having any of it already gives you more of a benefit than you could have had by having it. Like, that's, I think that's just one thing to keep in mind as we try to think, oh, like, they're having fun doing this and they're not going to have friends, they're going to miss out, all these things. Across the board, the costs outweigh the benefits when it comes to screens. And, like, for me, like, it's, that makes it a lot easier to just think about, like, well, it's really not that tricky then. Like, I know that my kid is going to get hurt more than they're going to get helped by having this thing, so why would I give it to them? And that, talk yeah. about your friends. Do you have any friends? Yes, I, I have a few. I, I can count them on two hands now. Um, but <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> no, but I have, yeah, I, I've had great relationships. Another thing that's really cool is all of my relationships are based on, like, when I see people in person, which is this new concept, but it's, it's really nice. Um, I, I, I invented it. I have it patented. But, um, no, it's, but it's so nice. All of my relationships are based in 100% on how I interact with people in person, right? how their sense of humor combines with mine, you know, the things they're interested in, the, the activities we do together, right? All of my relationships are built around those things, and that makes those relationships so much stronger. The psychology behind it is it's abundant. Like, eye contact, being, you know, physical touch, being in, in physical contact with people in person, hearing someone's voice, seeing their face, reading their expressions, all those things, they build relationships in ways that screens just can't. Um, and so all of my friends eventually uh, come to appreciate like, oh wow, like you're a really cool person even, even though you don't have screens. And, and they, a lot of them even would imitate. And they'd be like, you know what? I think it's so cool that you don't have that. I have Instagram right now, but maybe I'm going to delete it for a week or I'm going to do my best to, I'm going to set a time limit myself and put in a password that I don't know so that I can only spend this certain amount of time on it a day or things like that. Where I think that's such a testimony is the fact that my peers are setting limits on their own. Like, who wants to set a rule for themselves, right? But I think seeing the, the benefits in my life and my brother's life inspired a lot of my friends even to adopt some of that behavior themselves. They would, they, my friends would sell their consoles. they like, sell their gaming consoles. Like, who does that? Like, I, think that I just think that's so cool. So. Another question? We have time for maybe one more. Yes. Okay. So, as ambassadors, we're going to deal mostly with the parents. And for some of us, like, in age where we didn't have this problem, knowing what you've gone through, if you could go back to your 12-year-old self, what advice would you give that 12-year-old to stay the course to where you are today? That's a good question. I fortunately had a mom who gave me all the advice I needed. Whenever, <laughs> whenever, and she didn't pay me to say that yet, but um, when, when, when I was, you know, kicking and screaming and moaning as a middle schooler about all these terrible things that my mom was making me do right before I started to kind of come around, mom would just smile and she'd be like, hey, guess what? I'm older than you. I know what's better for, I know what's best for you and that's, what's, that's what you're going to do, right? Like, my mom was just courageous enough to put her foot in the ground and say like, like, this is a fun little show you're putting on, but it's not going to work. Like, I know what's best for you and that's what we're going to do as a family. And so, um, as a 12 year old, if I were to say something to myself, it would just be listen to your parents. No one, not a lot of 12 year olds want to hear that, but it takes a certain amount of love to do something that someone's not going to appreciate when you know it's for their greater good, right? For their benefit, right? It, I mean, it's, it's a hard, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable to do, but you do it because you love them and you want, you want people to be better. And, and mom knew it was best for me and she wasn't going to let 
my temporary disapproval of her to get in the way of her being a good parent and loving me. I think that that tough love is such an important aspect of parenting that has kind of become a lost art a little bit because no one else in the world is going to love your kid enough to tell them what they need to hear. They're only going to love them enough to tell them what they want to hear. So you have to, be, you have to be courageous and you have to be bold as a parent to tell your kids what they need to hear because you're really the only person in the world that's going to be willing to do that. And having, having other people around you is huge. Like that community, having, like that's where parents with kids in lower school, like start the community now and you, will ha- you won't have to go through the difficulty of being alone, right? You'll have, uh, there will be other kids and your parents will stick together and say, we're going to put our foot down and we're going to start this culture in our grade or, or whatever. I only had my twin brother. It was the two of us against the world. But um, <laughs> we, I mean, and we still survived, right? We, we didn't have anyone else outside of our family that didn't have screens, and we still made it. Like, it, it's, it's very possible. And um, kind of just a closing thought, one, one way I like to kind of think about the whole issue is everyone likes to accuse mom and parents who try this, this thing of not giving their kids screens. They try and make it seem like it's this novel idea, this experiment, like... How could you be willing to subject your kids to those awful things of, of not having screens? Like, everyone presents it like it's this new concept, right? But in fact, it's completely the opposite. Giving, giving your kids screens, that's the new concept. That's the experiment that no one really thought twice about, but was adopted just with open arms into our culture in the last, few, in the last two decades, really. And no one really thought twice about it. But I would just say, one way I describe it is... Don't let your kids be a part of the experiment where that's bound to fail, right? The experiment with where we've already seen negative side effects, right? My mom wanted to raise us in the way that has kind of been proven for, I don't know, let's see, 10,000 years. Um, that's the way it's been working, and that was the way mom wanted to raise me and my brother. And I think it's it's like almost arrogant of our culture to think that we've come across this new way of parenting that's so much better than the way that it's been done in the past millennia so don't let your kids be the victims of the experiment that is going on and that sounds like weird conspiracy yeah. theory but that's kind of what's going on so. no <laughs> okay all right well thank you um can you just i know that was super encouraging but can you close us we're going to close right now i promise and then we'll be here if y'all want to mingle um with a word of encouragement because I always like to close my podcast like that. I feel like I'm doing a podcast right now. But um, can you give a word of encouragement to our ambassadors that chose to fly in and come and be together? They're the ones that are out there, you know, taking the message out to the community. And then also to the parents that are actually going to be going home to some pretty hard decisions. I would just say, yeah, nothing that's good ever comes easy, right? A lot of times things that are good aren't easy. Um, For the ambassadors... You're being a light in, in your community, right? You're starting the wave, and it is, it's going to be hard to gain traction, right? People are going to think you're crazy like they did for my mom. But being crazy for the, for the best cause, is like then who's crazy after all, right? If you're crazy, but you end up being right, then in the long run, like who cares about the little times where people thought you were crazy? And that's what mom had to go through. But um, I would just say... When you think about the benefits long-term, it's so hard to keep your eyes on the long-term benefits, but it's not just long-term either. It's like in that video, the, those, these families are seeing immediate results as well as long-term results. And I would just say, let the fruit of, of this process 
Like, be evident, right? Let, let people see that family is doing it differently and I want my family to be like them. I want my kids to be like those kids who, who don't need these, these crutches, who, I mean, all these things. So I guess I'm trying to, I'm not doing a very good job keeping this brief, but as a word of encouragement, um, have confidence that the cause you're standing up for is the right one and that it's going to bring so much life, prevent so much pain, um, and bring so much of a fuller childhood to so many families and children out there um, than what they're subjected to at the moment. I think just fighting for the right cause is hard, but it's the best thing you can do. Um, good on y'all for supporting. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for coming. We hope that you've been encouraged by the advice shared in this episode today. And thank you all so much for listening. Remember, Screen Strong's got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd, and stay strong. Stay strong.